Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 872 of the Juicebox Podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with Jim. He's had type 1 diabetes for 55 years. And I think what I want to tell you about this episode is that a number of times, Jim really surprised me. You're never going to go wrong with that. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you would like to save 35% on your entire order at CozyEarth.com, all you need to do is use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. It is that simple. Don't forget to go to T1DExchange.org forward slash JUICEBOX and take the survey. Completing the survey helps type 1 diabetes research. It helps you and it supports the podcast. T1DExchange.org forward slash JUICEBOX. Go complete the survey. And if you're looking for community around type 1 diabetes, look no further than the Juicebox Podcast private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. What did you do first thing this morning? The first thing I did was drink my AG1 from Athletic Greens. AG1 is available at athleticgreens.com forward slash juicebox. And when you use my offer code. You're also going to get five free travel packs and a year's supply of vitamin D. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring this episode. Today's podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1. Now, Touched by Type 1 is out there doing the good work. Touchedbytype1.org, helping people with type 1 diabetes through their organization of just lovely people. It's wonderful. You, you have to go look at it touchedbytype1.org, and, of course, find them on Facebook and Instagram. I'll be speaking at their next event, so I hope I see you there. My name is Jim. I live in northern Georgia. I'm a retired rubber chemist. I'm a musician and a car guy. I have three children and seven grandchildren. I'm 69 years old, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 55 years but it does not slow me down. Jim, you were right. You have a, a longer intro because I think you have a longer, richer life than some of the people who uh, come on <laughs> come on at a younger age. And you make yeah. condoms uh, back when you were working. Is that right? Well, not that kind of rubber factory. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. <laughs> <laughs> it was mostly automotive parts. Okay. All right. Well, then there's a ton to pick through here, isn't there? Uh, sure. 50, yeah. 55, you were 14 when you were diagnosed? I was actually 13. 13. Uh, I was diagnosed in January of 67, and I turned 14 that March. Okay. 67. Yeah. All right. Uh, We're going to get to that for certain. Uh, Of your children, anybody have autoimmune? No. No one. Of course, my... uh, I have three, four... Four of my grandchildren are under four years old, so it may be kind of early to tell. But so far, nothing. Nobody's being tested for markers or anything like that? No, I haven't. I think I'm going to just let them know they can do that if they want to. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but no one else in my family either. My, you know, none of my parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nobody. How about uh, in your back in your family line, other stuff like celiac or I don't know, Hashimoto's, anything like that? No. Um, my mother died of leukemia in 1959, and my parents died uh, 10 to 15 years ago, but no no autoimmune stuff that I was aware of. Jimmy, you lost your mom when you were four? I was six. Oh, it was 1959. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, that's, that's something else. Uh, yeah, it was... You know, and it never really, uh, I've never really had huge effects from anyone close to me dying, except for my brother. Um, he died maybe four years ago, and he he was, uh, I'm not sure what his actual diagnosis was. He was from what anyone could tell, he was severely autistic. Um, he was non-communicative. He never spoke. Um, and he got sick and ended up in the hospital on life support. And my parents being dead, I was left with the decision to basically unplug the machines. Mm. That was that was rough. Yeah, Younger brother, older brother? He was two years older than me. Okay. And it, it's interesting because I guess of when he was born, like, do you, do you think he ever had like an autism diagnosis or was that not something they did then? Yeah. I don't know that they uh, really knew much about it until many years later. I think they just, the first diagnosis was probably something like brain damage. Right. Oh, so. Did he but as live, far as I know, he was like that from birth. So, did he live with your parents or in a facility? He off and on he lived uh, with with us at times, um, probably until I was oh ten, because my dad remarried, and my stepmom just wasn't. She was kind of high strung loved her dearly and we had a great relationship, but she just wasn't equipped to deal with my brother. Mm -hmm. So, so he was in a, a facility after that. Gotcha. There are days, yeah. there are days, Jim, when I'm high strung. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish people used the term still. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm typically not, I'm pretty laid back. Now I can tell from your speech pattern that you're fairly laid back. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right, so I'm going to pick through the rest of it a little bit. You play music? Yeah, um, I started playing piano when I was probably uh, five years old. We had an old piano down in the basement, and I would go down and play songs. I mean, not just plinking around, but actually with chords. And when I was eight, my dad said, if you take piano lessons for a year, I'll buy you a new piano. So he went out and bought the piano and I took lessons for, I took private lessons for probably 10 years. And then I went to uh, Michigan State University as a piano major. And unfortunately that was the year that Michigan lowered the drinking age to 18. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my music 
major and my college career didn't uh didn't pan out too well i was gonna say jim did meisterbrow waylay your music career <laughs> no i think it was uh old milwaukee <laughs> <laughs> because you know it's funny as you're telling the story i'm like here he goes he's off to college for his music major but he's a chemist i think and that doesn't yeah. none of that makes sense so what did you wake up and reorient yourself well, I took a, I think I still planned on going back, um, probably not to Michigan State because they weren't too happy with me, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I took a summer job in a rubber factory. We were molding, like I said, automotive parts, uh, started off on the press line, actually doing manual labor, which was great for my diabetes because I was getting, you know, strenuous exercise all day long. And I ended up staying there for eight years. And then I went back to college and got a chemistry degree. Wow. So something and about I, the job made you want to do that? Uh, it was, a, it was, uh, it paid better and was a lot easier than being a music teacher. <laughs> Jim, I like the way you make all your decisions. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it gets even better than that. Um, I was at, um, a company in Indiana. I grew up in Michigan, but we lived in Indiana for 20 years. And I was at another company and I was always getting calls from headhunters. And uh, this guy calls up and says, I've got a job for you in this town in Indiana. Well, in, and this was in, uh, this was in the late 80s when I got this call. Well, in 1978, I had gone to, this is Auburn, Indiana. And every Labor Day, they do the Auburn Court Duesenberg Festival, which is the cars that they made and sold back in the 30s. And uh, so I get this call about this job, and the guy says it's in Auburn, Indiana. And I said, oh, that's the place with the cars. That'd be a great job. And we went. <laughs> I swear, Jim, you, your episode is going to be called Path of Least Resistance, I think. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I did, I did mention I'm a car guy. So what kind of cars do you enjoy? Uh, right now I'm into muscle cars. I have a, uh, I have a 93 Mustang convertible. And then I also am working on my second, uh, 67 Pontiac GTO. Do you renovate them yourself or do you like to buy them ready to go? No, I, I buy them as uh, projects and then I restore them. Okay. Are you and I told my wife, this is the last one I'm doing. <laughs> Did you tell her I'm that? Getting too, to lie I'm getting to her? too old for this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's the work that's, that's too it's much. It's the work. Yeah. yeah. Plus, as we it's, know, you're not looking for a challenge. <laughs> no, not anymore. <laughs> uh, it's funny. You, you said, you started to say, I told my wife as I was getting ready to say, are you married? Um, yeah. I've been, been married 41 years. Um, we met at the first rubber factory I worked at. And there were people there who told her not to marry me because at the time I was, you know, the, the quintessential, uh, hippie slash bad boy, you know, long hair and a beard, and little, little bit into drugs and alcohol. They just told her to stay away from me. And we've been married 41 years now. Wow. What do you think did it? Why do you think she ignored them? Um, I think it was probably 
I'm sure as, as it is in most cases, it's a physical attraction to begin with. And that was incredibly strong with us, but she was also um, a Christian. And I saw something in her that uh, made her different from all the other girls. And once I found out what it was, um, I adopted that philosophy as well. And I think that's probably why we've been together for so long. What was that thing? Uh, finding Jesus. Yeah, that that really yeah. appealed to you. Well, it didn't at first, and it didn't. Um, it wasn't like an overnight change. It's it's a long process, and it's I think it's a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. And we went through some difficult times and it was, I think it was the only thing that saved us. And I'm, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a holy roller. I'm not really outspoken about it, but, uh, you know, I'll, if someone, you know, brings up the topic, I'm not afraid to discuss it. No, I, I, I mean, it's not why you're on, but I'm, I'm just following the thread of the conversation. So were you looking for some constant in your life that you didn't have or what do, what do you think it gave you? One of the first things I do every morning is take AG1 from Athletic Greens. You could do this as well. You could build a foundation for better health with AG1. Use my link, athleticgreens.com forward slash juice box to get started today. When you do, you'll also unlock an offer to receive a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. That's on top of your AG1. Come on. AG1 supports immunity, boosts energy, helps recovery, and promotes gut health. I take it because I'm afraid that my diet doesn't quite include all of the vitamins and nutrients that it should, and AG1 helps me to feel better every day. I tried a handful of other green drinks before coming to AG1. One of them, I won't mention the name, tasted like what I imagined feet would taste like if you made it into a drink. AG1, however goes down nice and easy, and my palate is hard to uh, get along with, so that really is saying something. AG1 from Athletic Greens contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anythings. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills or supplements to look out for your health. Of course, to make it easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do to get that offer is visit my link, athleticgreens.com forward slash juicebox. Once again, athleticgreens.com forward slash juicebox. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com to AG1 and all the sponsors. The next time you're staring at your phone and you want to interact with it very badly, but you don't know what to do. Don't forget to check out touchedbytype1.org. I'm just kidding. You don't just hold your phone for no reason and think to yourself, what should I do next? Maybe I'll take a survey. Could I take the T1D exchange survey? No, no, I won't do that. I'll leave that for later. Scott's only asked me about that 8,000 times. I'll wait for 8,000 more and then I'll, then I'll go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox.
Maybe just a BuzzFeed quiz. Yes, that's it. I want to find out which tea party guest I am. It gave me peace and purpose, which I didn't have before. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't know, I guess the peace at that, you know, that was a pretty, uh, that time in my life, let's see, we're going back to like, uh, 78, 79. Um, I had been married before, uh, got divorced. Well, we had a child and then we got divorced and I was kind of floating around, wasn't quite sure where I was going to go, um, played in a couple of bands and, uh, we just, we hit it off and, um, I think it was probably more than anything. I may not have realized it at the time, but I think it was just, uh, my my body or something was telling me, dude, it's time to settle down. Mm. Jim, in, the, in that time period, when you talk about drugs, are you talking about acid? No, I never did acid. It was mostly just marijuana. Okay. Um, I did some cocaine, which I never really, it never really did anything for me. It was not a huge, you know, I only did it like two or three times, mm -hmm. um, mostly just marijuana. Okay. All right. So, okay. So you have a, a a previous marriage, but when you were very young, you weren't married very long. Yeah. We got married when I was 22 and we were only married. Uh, let's see. We were married from 73 to, I guess our divorce was final in 79. And one child, are you in touch with that child? Oh yeah. 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 Um, we're still very close. Um, he has three, uh, I had three sons, he has three sons and there's a, a huge story behind that because, um, my, my dad had two sons. And like I said, I had three sons. My oldest son has three sons. My middle son had a son. So in our family for 93 years, we had not had a girl born and my youngest son in 19 or in 2018 had the first girl in our family in 93 years. That's crazy. And then the next two kids were girls. Maybe, maybe for the next 90 some years, it'll, it'll just go that way. <laughs> yeah, could be. But I tell people we didn't have any girls in our family for a hundred years. Yeah. And my wife says, yeah, but you hardly had any people at all. <laughs> mm. You know, we realized recently that um, that my my parents' bloodline ends now, pretty much, because I'm adopted. So even though I have a son, the name moves forward, but not not any connection to the to the family. Um, right. And then my my brother has a daughter, and my other brother's children are um, his wife his wife's their stepkids. So, and I don't think they're going to have more. And mm -hmm. uh, I was like, wow, it's just sort of it. And then it's funny 
it, it felt like a big deal for a second. And then I was like, eh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got, there's so many boys, I don't have to worry about our family. <laughs> no kidding. Come, you so. people are going to take over. Well, listen, Jim, <laughs> hopefully not, but it's possible in the coming decades, you're going to be responsible. This family is going to be responsible for a, an army of type one kids at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope not, but you never know. Yeah, I mean, and if you're saying you go back that far and you can't find any autoimmune, you really become an outlier in that situation. Yeah, I definitely am. How do you figure out in the 1960s and the 1970s in the middle of, you know, free love and everything else and no real diabetes technology, how do you figure out how to take care of yourself? Like you are you're healthy now. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No complications of any kind. Um, I, I think it was just getting into a routine and doing what you need to do. Unfortunately, there was probably, I'm guessing it was probably not until sometime in the mid eighties that I had kind of settled down and gotten into uh, you know, not eating as many things as I shouldn't have. And, uh, I'm just, I'm thankful that after having this disease for 55 years, I've got no retinopathy, no neuropathy. Um, the only, and the only other, uh, autoimmune I have is hypothyroid. So Jim, it's almost ridiculous. I mean, I'm, th- I know. I'm thrilled for I know. you, you know, I'm thrilled for you, but it's, it's almost just silly what you're saying. So you managed for like around 20 years, not really paying very close attention to things. So what insulin are you using uh, in the beginning? In the beginning, it was 45 units of Lente every day, one shot in the morning. That was it. That's all you did. Did you get low yeah. ever? Very rarely. Um, I only actually remember, I remember one day at work, this was probably in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, I was at work and I was trying to, I, I was filing some papers and I was putting them in folders in alphabetical order and I couldn't do it. It, it was just, it's like I couldn't tell you know, I had this thing with an A on it and I just couldn't figure out that it went in the A folder hmm. and this thing with the C on it went in the C folder and my boss comes in and he knew something was up. So he calls my wife and he says, yeah, just get him a Coke. He'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so. And, but that's, but nothing. Wow. I mean, how do you, what's my question even do you think you just got lucky well you know i don't believe in fate and luck and stuff like that but uh yeah i i can't explain it now i know that my my stepmom who i never called my stepmom she was my mom Mm -hmm. um she was great we had a great relationship she listened to what the doctor was saying about mostly about the diet. And back then it was the exchange diet. Um, I think I was on 2,700 calories a day. 
So it was like, you know, this many starches and this many fruits and this many vegetables and stuff like that. And she was, she was good at sticking to that. And I think that would have had a better effect had I not been, um, going off the deep end with, you know, fruit pies and milkshakes and stuff like that. (laughs) So the diet, the diet really only existed in the home. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it was to the point where at night I'd be practicing my clarinet in my bedroom and I thought I could smell ammonia. And I finally realized years later that I was probably smelling the ketones oozing out of my pores. Mm. Jim, that's not a euphemism. You played the clarinet. Yeah, I played, uh, in addition to piano, I started playing clarinet in sixth grade, um, bassoon in, I don't know, eighth grade, saxophone in ninth grade. And I think, I think that's about it. I mean, I dabbled around on guitar and stuff like that, but never, it was mostly uh, piano and wind instruments. And I've, I currently play in the church church orchestra, and I also belong to a uh, local community band. Hmm. Is it just come naturally to you, the music? Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I know that it's in in anyone who's a successful musician. It's just a uh, characteristic they've probably had from birth, and oddly enough, I think. It's also accompanied by a very strong, um, very strong math skills. Really? Believe it or not, because music is very precise and rhythmic and you have long notes and short notes and they're all mathematically related. So you'll find, I think you'll find that a lot of mathematicians and scientists are also musicians. And so that's, I guess, when you went back to college, that that made all that easy as well. Yeah, yeah, and what, it would have, except for the b- drinking age. <laughs> I meant the se- <laughs> I meant the second time, Jim. <laughs> <When> you- <laughs> oh, the second time, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, okay. no, the first time, nothing helped you. You, were, you were, right? It sounds yeah. like you almost got yeah. tossed out of there on your ass, actually. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, what did your uh, tell me again? What your degree ended up being in? I got an associate's degree in chemistry. Okay. And that propelled you through a whole, an entire career. It actually, um, let's see, I took the first job in 72. I got my degree in, I didn't get my degree until 96. And then, uh, I retired, uh, three years ago in 2019. So I was in the industry for 46 years. Is that a um, going from how you were growing up until this? You started this career. Do you? I mean, you met your wife there, so she didn't draw you to the place. You just, this, I mean, you don't seem like the kind of the story doesn't propel itself towards. I'm going to get like a regular job and work at a rubber plant and you know make dashboards. Yeah. Well, a friend of mine told me about this place, and I was looking for a summer job. So I went there and uh, got in, and it just took off from there. Hmm. I started, like I said, I started off on the production line. Um, They, apparently the foreman noticed that I had uh, more skills than just manual labor. 
So I ended up in the laboratory as the lab technician and then ended up kind of just growing into a, even though I had no degree, I was basically the chemist for the organization. So, Boy, that's a story that won't exist anymore, huh? Yeah, yeah. You just you kind of bounce around as a younger person, um, and then get a job, and just based off of hard work and and your intuition for the job, you moved up and mm-hmm. and and raised a family and three kids off of an associate's degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in your retirement, you have cars and free time and leisure and music and even playing music's not a cheap endeavor. So you through the years were buying instruments and I'm imagining mm-hmm. everything else. Yeah, that's um, that might be a time. That might be a time we all find ourselves missing at some point. Yeah, I, I don't think it's like that anymore. So, no, I, my my son left college, and the pressure to like find a job that paid well started. It felt like it started as they handed in the diploma. You know. Yeah, and I've I've told young people over the years that going to college and picking a degree without knowing whether it's something you really like to do it's dangerous is a huge mistake. Yeah. I've often told people go out and work a bunch of places and figure out what it is you like and then then decide what kind of degree you want. Jim a coffee's eight dollars. How are they supposed to do that? <laughs> they gotta no. get a job. I I agree with you though. I, I thought I felt like in the you know first 18 years of my first child's life one of the strangest things I saw happen was him go to college and be like, this is what I'm going to get a, a degree in when mm-hmm. he didn't know which way it was up or what he cared about or anything like that. He just knew he knew what he was good at, but he, right. did, he didn't, he doesn't know what he likes or if he yeah. likes anything, to be honest with you. Yeah. And my youngest son did it right. He, uh, he was always interested in mechanical stuff. He and I worked on the cars together and he said, I'm not going to college. And he picked out a trade school in Chicago, and now he is an ASE certified master mechanic with Land Rover. Okay, well, that's a that's a nice clean job nowadays being a mechanic. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, you know, <laughs> little rolling computers that uh. <laughs> yeah. So he is he is currently re restoring my first sixty uh, seven GTO. Oh, he's and, uh, he's doing it for you. Yeah, well, he's doing that one, and I'm working on the second one. Okay. And it's funny because my granddaughter, um, she calls me Pop Pop. And every time we talk about my son's GTO, she says, it's Pop Pop's GTO. (laughs) (laughs) Jim, all is left in the next however long we talk for is for you to say bang so I can call this episode Pop Pop Bang. Because right now, uh, right now I'm stuck on Jim makes rubbers and you yeah. know stuff like that, which I don't think is appropriate uh, for our conversation. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh my. Jim. Jim met his wife in a rubber factory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. With all that rubber around, I don't know how you had all those kids. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, well, I guess the one related to diabetes, the one bang I've had in my life is CGM. I mean, I'm sure other people have told you they're stories you know i was uh drinking all the time peeing all the time losing weight blah 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 you know i had to do the urine tests blah 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 um there is kind of a funny story on how i got to pump therapy i've been on pumps for uh 16 years now 
16 years. Okay. I was back in 2007. Um, I don't know if they still even have these, but you had um, health savings accounts or healthcare spending account, I think sure. is what it was. I, I used mine yesterday. They definitely have them still. Well, there were there was a different one that we had because there's two choices now. Back in that day, if you didn't, if you had any money left in it at the end of the year, it was gone. Right. You, you didn't, lost it. You didn't get it. So I'm looking at my, I kept pretty good track of it in, in a spreadsheet. And I'm looking at it going, oh, geez, I've got $1,000 left. If I don't use that, I'm going to lose it. I think I'll go on an insulin pump. So <laughs> I went to talk to my endo and he says, yeah, I think. You know, because I had a previous endo had told me that my control was so good. He says, if you want to go on a pump, fine, but you're on MDI. You really don't. It's not going to make any difference. And it hasn't as far as my, you know, A1Cs or anything like that. But um, I think it has I think it has helped. And then when CGM, CGM came out, that was like I said, that was a game changer. So tell me a little bit about, you were on MDI for how long? Um, let's see. I was on the single injection probably until the late 80s, so 20 years. Wow, right. And then in that that 89, 90 range was when the human insulins were coming out. Mm -hmm. And he switched, my endo switched me from the single shot to... I think it was NPH in the morning and evening. And then at that time it was Humalog or Humulin and Humulin R. Right. At meals. With meals. Yeah. And then when Humalog came out, um, it was pretty much the same routine. NPH in the morning and evening and Humalog with meals. When do you switch then, to a, a basal insulin? I went, my first pump was in 2007. Uh, and it was a Medtronic uh, 513G. And uh, that was, you know, that was a good a good run, I thought. I mean, my A1Cs were always in the high fives and low sixes. Mm -hmm. But um, a couple of months ago, I pulled up some glucometer data. And in 2000, uh, and this is on MDI, um, my average blood glucose was 150, but I was running 32% under 70 and 32% over 180 and only 30% in range. Yeah. Well, there's even no... though I'm sorry. So, so as, as you know, there's a fallacy to just looking at the A1C. Right. Yeah. You didn't have any kind of stability. So you were, you were low for a long periods of time, high for long periods of time, 150, and the average gave you an A1C that seemed amazing, but probably wasn't right. as, as good as it yeah. looked. Yeah. And I think due to running low so much, uh, it didn't take that long to develop hypo awareness, which I still have to this day. How, how low do you get before you know you are? Um, I'll get down to 37 and I'll fall down. That's the only way I know. Hmm. I don't feel a thing. Wow. So then in 2017, I pulled up some more numbers and things were better, 
Um, average is 121. I was only running 19% low and 68% in range. So that was, you know, halfway decent without having the CGM. Um, oh, the other, the other stat on my first ones, my standard deviation was 87. Mm-hmm. And then in 2017, it dropped to 50. And then the last 90 days, average is a little higher, 136, but my standard deviation was 43, only 3% low, 10% high, and 84% in range. Wow. And this is with, this is the last 90 days, we've been traveling a lot. I would typically run 85 to 90% time and range. But like I said, we've been traveling and that just kind of, you know, I'm able to manage fairly well with it, but you still, still get highs more than I like. Restaurant after restaurant sitting and are you, Mm -hmm. are you driving around right now or flying? Well, it's a combination depending on, we've got kids, my middle son and his wife and two, two kids are in California my youngest son's in Illinois and my oldest son's in Michigan. So we just, we actually, we just flew back uh, yesterday from Michigan. So, Mm. wow. Well, thank you. Actually, today's my birthday. Is it? Happy birthday. Thank you very much. I I only bring that up because people end up on the show all the time on their birthday and they bring it up. And I was like, I have to tell you, I have to say (laughs) when it's mine. Right. (laughs) Uh, So when you, when you went to a CGM was when? Um, let's see. I went on the G5 in the tandem T-Slim in 2019, the year I uh, retired. Because I I guess my... Uh, uh, I, have, I have recall issues. My uh, other pump. The Medtronic. Yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the warranty expired in 2019, which was perfect timing. I did a lot of research looking at pumps and decided I want the T- wanted the T-Slim, T-Slim, even though I could only get the G5 on Medicare at that time. Um, the advantage to that was I had it all dialed in before I went on the G6 and Control IQ in 2020. So I had basically done all my basal testing and everything ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And I frequently recommend to people on the web, on the Facebook pages, they're to go on on control IQ. Do you have any advice for me? And my advice is always get it dialed in before you turn control IQ on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Run it like a regular pump. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. It, it's tough because some people are, are hoping that that algorithm is going to save them from something they haven't been able to figure out so far. Mm-hmm. I wondered, well, uh, Good, but I have a question. The, the problem I see with that is it's kind of like driving a car that you have an erotic, that erratic odo- uh, speedometer. Yeah. You know, it reads high, so you're compensating for that. Well, then the next day it reads low, so you're compensating for that. Well, your pump is compensating for things that are happening because your settings aren't right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's everything is settings, Jim. Like you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to say that forever. So, um, sure. what was what was my question? Oh, uh, was it a huge shift going to a CGM and a pump 
versus just a pump versus just MDI? Like, was there ever a spot where you thought, I can't, I can't adapt to this? Or have you always been interested in moving forward with things? No, I, I've always been uh, a technology addict. So, okay. So- um, and I, I guess that's one thing that um, I'm typically not a compassionate person, but I do feel for the people who um, just don't have strong um, math and scientific skills. I mean, let's face it, not everyone's a mathematician. And I can't imagine being diagnosed today and the doctor saying, here's a pump and here's CGM, go for it. It, it would have to be so overwhelming. Yeah. Don't you think that that's part of what we're seeing with like Omnipod 5, Control IQ, that kind of thing? Don't, doesn't it seem like they're trying to develop something that if you don't know much about it, you can still have more stability at a lower number than you're going to achieve on your own. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure of it. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem to me like what they're trying for because I get lost sometimes in the podcast too, where I'm very accustomed to being around people who are super motivated and either get it right away, or if they don't get it really nose to the grindstone, find a way to figure it out. Whereas I believe that it's possible that the, you know, the great majority of the rest of the people don't fall into those categories and they mm-hmm. might, they might just be bouncing around their whole life and, and, and not knowing. Right. Yeah. And, and I think you see it in the Facebook posts, you know, people just, I've had this disease for so many years and I just can't control it. And I, I do feel for those people, you know, for the first time and forever, I mean, honestly, I've been doing this a really long time. No one's ever yelled at me. I got yelled at the other night in in, in really yeah in a Facebook post by a but and um I, I saw what was happening so it, I didn't find it to be off putting. But here's what this person probably meant. It's not what they said. I think what they meant was, I can't figure this out. I need you to tell me. And I of course was trying to help them figure it out, and they just kind of. I don't even know how to put what happened. They just sort of, uh, we were in the middle of talking about something. They just turned on me Hmm. and you know, you're not helpful. This isn't helpful. Like Bob, I was trying to ask leading questions. I thought we were having a dialogue. I didn't realize, I didn't realize that I was speaking with a person who probably was at, at wit's end. Yeah. You know, and feeling a ton of pressure. It was about a child. It was about a younger child. Like I understood, I mean, I completely understood. And I tried really hard to like say, Hey, listen, I think we're just, having a communication problem here. But the the truth is, I, I from my perspective, what was happening was they were just, they couldn't take it anymore. They, right. they, they were yeah. up to like, somebody needs to tell me what to do because I don't know what to do. And and that, yeah. that I think is your point is that those people are, you know, they're plentiful and it's, um it's a shame, you know, Hey, you yeah. just said something strange. You, you threw me off. You're not normally compassionate. Well, yeah, like I I mentioned earlier, um, you know, when my mother died and my dad died and my stepmother died, I, you know, I wasn't hugely affected. Now, my mom, 
um, I think I was more affected by her than my actual biological mother because, I mean, let's face it, I was only six years old. Yeah, it's pretty young. Um, but when my, um, when my mom died, she had, she had been an executive secretary at Ford. Both her and my dad worked at Ford, and they met after my mother died. And she contracted Alzheimer's. And having known that she was an executive secretary at Ford Motor Company, um, she was a gourmet cook. She worked um, in uh, offices. She was, I mean, she was smart. And to see her reduced to what she was, you know, before she died was, was hard. It was actually seeing her deteriorate was harder on me than her death was because I think by the time she died, uh, she was, I mean, she was done with it finally. Do you feel like you've like walled yourself off from those feelings? Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've never, I've never, uh, put any, I've never tried to do any, uh, you know, soul searching about it or never seen a psychiatrist or anything like that. Yeah, you're, you're from the wrong generation for that question. I just thought I would ask it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, Scott, I got up the next day and I paid my bills. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah uh, well, well no, but it's interesting. Hey, listen, you don't, you don't lean in that direction, but I'm still going to ask the question because of your older brother. Do you have any like tendencies towards spectrum stuff? I'm not sure what you mean. Autism spectrum stuff, or like, do you have any leanings that way? Uh, I, I suppose in a minor sense, because as a child, um, I, I was perfectly content playing by myself. Uh, I mean, I had, I had a lot of friends and I was popular in school, but when I was younger, you know, I could sit in the basement hours for hours by myself playing with my Legos and stuff like that. I didn't need anyone, but I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I had friends, we played, uh, you know, we did stuff. So I suppose, you know, there is, I've always been kind of a loner, Mm -hmm. but at, but at the same time, uh, you get a party going and I can be the life of the party. Yeah, I took, I took took that from the beginning of your story. Yeah. So (laughs) I guess, I guess I'm kind of schizophrenic, you know, (laughs) Jim, I think you're one joint away from just going crazy right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, it's not, it's not legal down here. So, Oh, okay. I was going to ask you if you still partake (laughs) once in a while. I, I did at one of my kids bachelor parties and it slipped out. My wife heard about it and she was not too happy with me. <laughs> I didn't think she did. I was just checking on you. <laughs> no, she doesn't. No, didn't. So, oh, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. What else do I have here for you? I did want to ask about your wife. I wanted to ask if, if she has any involvement with your diabetes at all. Um, very little actually. Um, I mean, I've been self-managed for so long. She knows that I know how to take care of it. Um, she can tell when I'm low. Well, she used to be able to tell when I'm low, but I have my low limit on my Dexcom set or not on the Dexcom, but on my pump, I've got my low limit set at a hundred. 
So I get advance warning when I start to go low. And uh, she's, I mean, she's, she's pretty hands off, but uh, she's aware of it. So is that a number that has increased as you've gotten older? Or has that always been where you like to treat? Uh, well, yeah, that's a tough one because I don't think it was until, till I got the CGM in 2019 that I really knew where I was because like I said, I had developed hypo one awareness so long ago that, um, you know, I, like I said, I was out mowing the yard one day and I literally, my legs went out from under me. Mm -hmm. So I was able to make my way into the house and checked on my uh, glucometer. I was 37. And that happened at work once too. My legs went out from under me and it was exactly 37. So I know that if I fall down, I'm at 37. <laughs> you don't have to test anymore. You're good. <laughs> and has, has that happened since you've had a CGM? No, it has not. Yeah, no. That's a big change. I mean, I've had, I've had lows, but, uh, because when a lot of times when I'm working on the car, it's physical, uh, labor turning wrenches and I'll frequently turn my basal completely off when I go downstairs to work on the car. And then I have to set an alarm to make sure I turn it back on later mm -hmm. in the day. Yeah. They say, Jim, temp basal off is the way to go. So you can't forget to put it back on, avoid your DKA that way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I haven't been in DKA since I think the last one I had was in 19. I'm assuming it's going to be 1981 based on the house I was living in. Um, and I didn't even go to the hospital for that. I knew what was going on. I went to the pharmacy, got a bottle of regular insulin, just, you know, gave myself probably like 10 units or something like that. But, uh, I had been hospitalized for DKA three times um, from probably in the early 70s, I would say. Yeah. I, but none since then. It, it go As you're hearkening back to earlier management ways that, you know, and obviously you were doing what you were told. Um, and I asked you earlier, you're healthy, right? You don't have anything. You said, no, I'm good. But then you said later you have brain fog. You have you have trouble recalling things sometimes. Yeah. I, I just had my, uh, I, they, when you're on Medicare, they give you an annual, it's not a physical. Well, yeah, I guess it's a physical, but they also do a memory, um, test and I ace the memory test every time, but I told the doc, I said this, and this is my PCP, not my endo. Um, he says, well, you don't have any memory issues. You have recall issues. He said, the data is there. You just can't find it. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure what that means, but it's, it's particular, it's the worst with people's names. Um, people I've known for 20 years, you know, uh, it'll take, and then their name will just come to me later on. Looking at them in the face or, or, or thinking of them, whatever, you just can't find the name sometimes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Listen, and he a, didn't seem concerned about it. So, well, sure. It's not happening to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good one. I'll have to remember that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, um, there, there's a, it's, I've said it here before, so it's not that much of a secret, but I'm just good at, at, at moving. 
So whenever I can't find a word, I just find a different one. But it happens to uh, me on the podcast constantly. I'm just I talk so quickly you can't see it happening usually. Yeah. Or, or I yeah. I find a way to like artfully pause while I collect myself. And if I yeah. if I really get caught, um, then you know I'll just admit to it while I'm talking. But I cannot think of what I was thinking of just now. Part yeah. of I I you know I'm I'm 51 today, so I mean that's not young. It's not old. And I've had problems with my iron being low in the past. So I'm not certain because the iron thing just like it knocks you out. Like it just, it's like, yeah. it's like being on a dimmer switch and somebody just shutting you off. Um, right. So, but, but I, I know what you're talking about. I, I've had that experience. We all have, I've watched it happen to my wife recently. She, you know, she's getting older and the kids are like, she can't think of her word. And I'm like, you know, you only have like 25 years before this happens to you. So just be a, <laughs> be a little kind, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It really is. Right. Jimmy, yeah. And it, like I said, it's worst with names. That's the big, the big thing. And I, I actually read somewhere, I saw it on the internet, so it has to be true, that it's a, there is actually a condition for this thing about not being able to remember people's names hmm. or recall. I'm sorry, recall their names. Yeah. I'm terrible with names, but I always have been. And, you know. So. It's not because I don't care about people. I just, I don't know. Like, I can't remember people's names. Like, in tight in my life, I can. But, you know, you get slightly outside of my bubble, and I'm like, uh, I remember that yeah. part. And you start telling <laughs> stories around them. Like, you you even said, like, I remember what house I was in. Or like, like, you can remember all that stuff and, the, and not the one piece. I have to tell yeah. you, I, I find talking to you incredibly interesting because your life goes against convention a little bit. And, you know, in a number of different ways. And it's interesting to look back at it as a whole. I find it super interesting to hear somebody talking about, like, you know, I was married in my early 20s for a number of years, and I have a child. But then, you know, and I went to college once, but then I went back to get an associate's degree. I had this job here. I met a person at the job. It's very interesting to hear to hear it all in one place. I, I, don't, mm. I don't know why exactly, other than... I think most people expect, you know, nowadays it's, I'm going to grow up, I'm going to go to school, I'll meet a person, I'll marry that person. Everybody thinks that's going to last forever. We'll have a bunch of kids. Those kids will become astronauts and quarterbacks and the president. Well, I, well, you know, I don't know how auspicious <laughs> that is anymore, but, but, you know, like, like, and these big things. And, and it's just, I realized the other night I was taking out the trash where I do a lot of my best thinking, walking to the end of the street and, um, <laughs> It's the only time I'm alone, like like during the week. And I just thought, you know, my expectations for things versus how they went, you really get a different perspective as you get older. Sure. Yeah. yeah. All the things you think in your 20s and 30s while you have a young family is it's all hope. It's not it's not it's not based in much reality. And for the people, yeah. who you know, for the people who get to the end and it went exactly the way they thought it was going to go. I think that's a fluke, maybe more than yeah. than anything else. Yeah, and I I mean I think this is one of those things that um kind of goes back to another era. You know, my dad was uh he was born in 1923. He spent uh he was a bombardier on B17s in World War II. Hmm got shot down on his second mission and spent two years in a German prisoner of war camp, came back to the U S went to college on the GI bill 
and became an engineer and finished out his career at Ford Motor Company. I mean, he had a plan and he stuck to it. People don't do that anymore. Yeah. I didn't even do it. Yeah, Jim, you're you you blow in the wind like that thing at the car dealership. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You're like you're like weed, beer, piano, <laughs> Jesus. I don't care. Put it in front of me, I'll follow it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just go with the flow, you know. You really do. But uh so even with the diabetes, it it you didn't fight against the changes. Um you know, you, you took the time to relearn. I'm a big fan of that. And, uh, yeah. you know, you could have got stuck somewhere and been like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to do it like this. Yeah. Well, talk about memory. Um, the odd, one of the odd things, I think, because when I was diagnosed, it, it didn't, you know, I was like, okay, I got to do this. Let's move on with life. Um, I can still clearly remember the doctor coming into the examination room and telling me I had diabetes. I can picture it plain as day, hmm. almost like a motion picture. And what I find so odd about that is why do I remember that? Because I don't remember it having much of an effect on me at all. You know, a couple of days later I was in the hospital for a week while they got things straightened out. And that was it. That was it. Just went and did yeah. what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You know, for all the changes, all the weird tracks I've taken in my life, I've always been kind of a compliant person, except my wife accuses me of being uh, passive aggressive. So. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you're terrible, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Just, horrible, per yeah. horrible person. Yes. <laughs> the way you've stayed there and raised three children for 41 years and... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Stop yeah. smoking your weed when you were told to. <laughs> yeah. You just don't listen much. to him. Yeah. No, poor listener. Yeah. But uh yeah, I've had a, I've done a few other things in my life too. Let's see, in 1984, um I hiked by myself into and out of the Grand Canyon, spent a week down in there. And uh, that was when I was on the one shot a day, which I probably cut in half because of the you know, the, the hiking exertion, yeah. but, uh, that was a fantastic trip. And in 2014, I had open heart surgery to fix my mitral valve, which I'd had, I'd had a heart murmur since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And the doctors always told me, you'll probably have to get that fixed someday. And when I went in for I went in for an echocardiogram every year and I would always position myself so I could watch it on the screen and I could see that, okay, this thing is not looking good now. And then about a month after that, I started getting short of breath and told my wife, okay, it's time. Told him at work, I said, I've got to go in for open heart surgery. So I'll be, I'll be off for about a month and uh, survived that. Um, and it really, I mean, looking back on it, yeah, it, it was pretty painful for a few days, but, uh, all in all, you know, it's, it's still holding in there. So that was what, eight years ago, hmm. difficult, uh, recovery. No, actually, um, the only thing that, um, bothered me and I don't recall what my blood sugars were doing at the time. So they probably 
weren't too bad. I was on the Medtronic pump at that time. Um, so, I mean, they probably ran high for a while. I know they had me on an insulin drip in the hospital. And I'm not sure how many units per hour I was getting, but it was probably a pretty hefty dose. Mm -hmm. um, the worst thing about it was I had to cough to make sure I was getting any uh, junk out of my lungs. And that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and that hurt. <laughs> and I, I remember the first time I sneezed, I was convinced my heart, my chest was going to explode. Mm -hmm. You know, I was going to break open and, you know, my lungs were going to spray over here and there was going to be blood all over the bathroom, but uh, didn't happen. Yeah. I didn't know that I was wired shut, so I couldn't explode. So. Wow. Well, that's really crazy. I'm feeling like there's a lot more that's happened to you that we're never going to get to. Yeah, I, I guess uh, that's all the major stuff. But, I mean, the things, I've got a list here of everything I wanted to talk about. How are we I've doing? I've got one. Um, we're almost done. Cool. I'm doing all right. Um, and I think we've mostly talked about it. The one, The one section I have labeled what I don't have, and we already talked about most of that. Um, you know, complications. I don't have any complications. I don't feel highs or lows. Um, I don't have as many highs or lows, but, you know, I still hit that occasional 300 because I didn't bolus right for a meal, eating out or something like that. But I, you know, I 300, 350, I don't feel a thing. You just don't know. There's no just difference that, for you. Yeah, yeah I, I feel perfectly fine. I have never felt, other than the... Uh, initial lows that I felt very early on, I don't feel a thing. I don't feel sick. You know, I, I mean, obviously when you're in DKA, you're, you know, puking your guts out, but, um, and then the, the whole other thing about no one in my family with T1D is, is kind of weird. Yeah, no, it is. The, the other thing I have listed here is horror stories. <laughs> And that's not not for me, but for things I've heard and seen over the years. I remember being in my uh, the endo's office, the one that got me started on the pump. And I got to say, he was the best endo I ever had because he was a type one on pump therapy. Mm -hmm. He understood. He knew what was going on. You know, he's the only one I've ever had that really had an intimate knowledge of diabetes. But uh, I was in his, uh, in his examination room one day and the walls weren't very soundproof. And he was in the room next to me and there was an older fellow who I assume was a type two. He walks in and says, well, your A1C was 11. And the guy says, oh, is that bad? And I'm like, oh, dude, you're killing yourself. Yeah. And I mean, I laughed at it at the, I don't know that I laughed at it at the time because obviously it's not funny, but uh, um, I had another endo tell me about a patient of his who was a young college educated woman who simply refused to take care of her diabetes. She was in a wheelchair by the time she was in her mid twenties. Mm. And I'm just like, gosh, that's so sad, yeah. you know, and me being a totally uncompassionate person, you know, to feel for someone, I'm, you know, gee. but, uh, and then this was, I think in the early, you know, probably the mid eighties, my wife and I were 
um, canoeing on a small river near where we lived. And a fella she worked with and her husband, or his wife, uh, we ran into them on the river, not literally ran into them, but um, he was type one and he was having a low. And uh, turns out that when he was diagnosed, his parents refused to admit that there was anything wrong with him because he looked fine. There's nothing wrong with him. He was already in his mid-20s suffering from retinopathy. But the worst, the worst one of all was a good, a good friend of my wife, her, uh, they were never married, but her boyfriend for years was a type one. He had had both legs amputated. He was pretty much blind. He went into kidney failure and he died Hmm. and all as a result of type one. So you know, like I said, I don't consider, I don't particularly, particularly believe in luck or fate, but I guess I have to say I've been pretty lucky. Yeah. No, I, I don't know another way to think about it. When the, when the technology and the understanding is where it was in the sixties and the seventies and the eighties and part of the nineties, you, mm-hmm. you know, um, to make it as far as you have, as well as you have is, you know, there's a little bit of, um, I mean, it doesn't matter what you call it, right? But but whatever it is, it's there because, like you said, look at all the other stories you have. You know, just from just from being in the in the office or meeting people, you know, along mm-hmm. along the way. Was there any um, kind of community aspect to diabetes? So like like the way you describe yourself, like I, it's interesting to me that you know this podcast or that you're involved in the Facebook group because it doesn't seem like you would be, but you are. Well, um, I think it was probably after I got on the uh, CGM and the uh, Tandem T-Slim and Control IQ. And probably it may have started when I was researching what pump I wanted to go on. I started looking up Facebook pages and found found the, uh, the Tandem T-Slim page. Um, there was a group 30 years with type 1 diabetes, um, adults with T1D, and then um, I didn't see the, the Juice Box podcast until just probably within the last year. Someone on one of the pages mentioned, I listened to this podcast and it was really good. And I'm, I'm Juice Box, what the heck is that? So I looked it up and listened to a couple episodes, and then I saw the pro tips. So I listened to all of those, and then I've gone through the list. I haven't listened to all of them. I'd probably listen to maybe a third of them. I usually go by the titles. Oh, this one looks interesting. Um, But I I have to admit I've gotten some good tips. I think the best one was it might have been one of the pro tips was bump and nudge. Yeah. Um, that, that was good. And then the, the other one about the, uh, the CIQ ninja, the guy whose son. Yeah. Wasn't um, that great? Yeah. That was a good one. And this morning, this morning, I just listened to, uh, um, the, the older lady who was diagnosed at like 49, I think it was number seven, 14, Stacy, Scott, 
Scott made a Scott messed up. Yeah. Scott messed up. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed that one. I, I do like listening to other people and just hearing their experiences, but the weird, another weird thing about my experience with T1D is I have met in 55 years, I have met so few people with type one. I have never actually seen another person. Um, I've never run into another person with an insulin pump. Really? In person. Yeah. Ever. But, but, but you met a five years. But you did see a type one on a river once. That's got to count for like 15 yeah. different, <laughs> different, yeah. different and experiences. A, yeah. But my wife knew him and she told me he was diabetic. So, oh, all right. And the odd, um, there were two guys that I worked with at the last, the company I retired from. There were two guys who were T1Ds and they never talked about it. I never would have known it except for one of the guys um, saw my pump because he thought it was a pager. Yeah. And I said, no, it's an insulin pump. And it turns. So he and I uh, hit it off pretty well. And I haven't heard from him for a while. I need to contact him. But is he there... was on he was on the uh, one of the later um, Medtronic pumps with uh, the Guardian mm-hmm. sensor. I think the six. 17 or something like that yeah i don't know all those um yeah. all those medtronic pumps for sure so. uh, of which there are many uh, and so you, there's you like this you like being around other people who have diabetes yeah, yeah um i in the i guess i've been on the facebook pages for a few years and i was giving a lot of advice to people who were newly diagnosed they're having this issue with the pump. And I think I probably gave more advice than I got, Mm -hmm. but there were still some uh, valuable things I picked up. And uh, I, uh, yeah. So I started my own Facebook page because there was one out there with 30 years with type one diabetes. And I said, well, 30, (laughs) I got that. Let's one. go 50. Yeah. Let's go 50. So I started a Facebook page called 50 years with type one diabetes. And it's interesting because I've got like 60. I haven't looked recently, but about at least 62 members the last time I looked and I'm the only one that posts anything. I mean, I always get a lot of comments when I do post something, but no one volunteers anything. I think they're just like, yeah, you know, I've had this for so long. It's just a way of life. I got nothing to post. So, <laughs> yeah, I also think that's a generational thing. I don't think people in their sixties are are looking to, uh, generally speaking, be part of the social media movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, for the probably. most part, it's hard to get people yeah. to share things. I have an incredibly tough time getting type twos to share. So I try, yeah. I try, and I try, and every once in a while you get one who's terrific, but it's not as many people as I hope for. Yeah, your group has seventy five members in it right now, Jim. Okay, very nice. Cool. That's excellent. 50 yeah. years with type 1 diabetes, and the 50 is 5 Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, very nice. Uh, my group gets 300 new members a week. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it's uh, not something I expected, to be perfectly honest. Most of this is not yeah. something I expected. That someone would tell you that, that, you know, I listened to a podcast, it still freaks me out. Or when someone, yeah. you know, when people come in, they answer a question about how did you find out? And I, I read through every one of them that pops up in front of me and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just stunned, you know, yeah. at, at how, um, at how it's sort of permeated and, and spread. I just never, I mean, I hoped, but I didn't, I didn't really expect it to. 
And, sure. Uh, yeah. Just, well, there are so many parents out there with children with T1D. Yeah. Um, and that, that's another group that, um, I really feel for because it's, you know, it's hard enough to manage this thing by yourself, but managing it for someone else. Well, you know, yeah, it's hard because of Arden, you know, it's gotta be, that's gotta take a toll on you. Yeah. My, my wife who doesn't, she's pretty stoic most of the time about stuff like this. But the other day she said to me, we're, you know, we're, we're getting older. We're not like, you know, we're not, we're not drifting. It's not over or anything like that. But she said, uh, I just, I didn't think there'd be so many roadblocks. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I, I didn't either. Um, and it's tiring. And if, yeah. you, if you don't have the support you need from people and you don't have the support you need financially and, you know, health insurance wise, and your earlier point, if you just kind of don't have the wherewithal to think it through, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and be ready to get it wrong and try again. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, talk like you're talking about go with the flow and sometimes, um, you know, have to stand up and push back. It's, it's more than you expect, you know, you're, you're in your twenties and your thirties and you're having kids and you think like, you know, here, this one's my astronaut and you know, this one's going to be a prince and this one's going to be this. And <laughs> uh, you don't think that, you know, 25 years later, you're still going to be on the internet trying to figure out why somebody's leg hurts or, yeah. you know, what, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. It's just, um, this autoimmune stuff is, it sucks. Yeah. 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 Well, like I said, it, it's been a part of my life for so long that it's just, it's just, it's oh, just it there, yeah. you know? Well, listen, you, you, your, um, your early grooming was, I got captured by the, uh, by the Nazis and and here I am, I'm back. So I don't imagine there's a ton <laughs> of giving up in you. Yeah. Well, I guess that, that I probably inherited that from my dad, you know, he, sure. for him, you know, spending two years in prison camp in world war two was, you know, he's, he said at one, from one standpoint, it was the scariest time of his life but it was also the most glamorous time of his life. Cause he was a hero back home and he's still like, he's a hero to me. You know, he so. knew that even when he was in, in the prisoner camp, he knew that, that it like the, the knowledge that he was there and not giving up was, was uplifting to other people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think so. Plus how the hell do you complain, Jim? Like, right. Like once, well, yeah. they, like, you know, <laughs> my tires flat and he's like, Nazis, leave me alone. <laughs> let me know when you're let me know when they lock you up in a prisoner of war camp and until then go clean your room you're like oh all right i guess he's got well yeah well all that plus having grown up during the depression sure sure so he's he had been through it no kidding how old was he when he passed he was 87 that's a full life yeah yeah well um he he got a full uh full honors military funeral. It was, it was very moving. I almost, I almost tear up just thinking about it. Cause it was, it's like, wow, you know, 21 gun salute and everything. I got making you cry. Sounds difficult. So it, well, you know, not as difficult as it seems. Cause I, I cry more tears of joy than anything else. So. Yeah. I, I, I had 20 minutes while I was by myself last night where I was doing laundry and I found myself thinking of a memory of one of my kids and I made myself cry by myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's uh well, I mean, we were my, let's see, this would be my wife's. No, my daughter-in-law's 
father um, does a church in his house. And we usually when we're up there, if we're up there on a Sunday, we'll, we'll go. And it's very informal. And we were, uh, we were singing a couple of hymns. And one of them was talking about something about a newborn baby. And we had two that were due within weeks. And I just, I just busted out in tears. It was, it was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's good for you, Jim. I, uh, I really do. It's, um, it's, uh, I, I found myself just thinking about, I mean, my son's 22. He's still here. He just finished college. And I, I kept, I keep thinking he's going to leave, you know, and I don't, I don't know when it's going to be. And, um, and what am I going to say to him before he goes? And I, I, I realized that the thing I always really want to say to him in, in tough situations, I never say, cause it's, it's not, it's not valuable for him to hear when he's trying to make his way or be confident or things like that. You know what I mean? Like there's the part you, there's the part you say, and there's the part you don't say. And mm-hmm. I, I thought, boy, before he leaves, like, how am I going to stop myself from saying, you know, please don't go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I can't, I, I think I'm going to have to say it because I, I, I don't know how I'm going to hold it in. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, because all the other times, you know, you're, you know, something tough happens to him and, and you mm-hmm. want to, you want to be like, look, I, I know this sucks and everything and you should give up, but you don't, you know, you don't say that you say, keep fighting in, in, in your mind. You think, I don't think this is going to work out, but I, I, I think there's more value in him trying and failing than there is in him just walking away from it. He doesn't need to hear from me that this isn't going to work. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I, I don't know how I'm going to tell him you know, just, I'm going to miss you. It doesn't seem like enough. So, yeah. Well, anyway, that when, my, when, when my dad dropped me off at college, I basically got out of the car with my suitcases and he said, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let Jerry get you, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Watch out for the Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, if they throw those big grenades at you, you've got time to throw them back. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to uh, go. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, that's interesting. Jim, you've had a hell of a life. I appreciate you sharing it with me very much. Well, I appreciate talking to you about it. It was good. No, it was. Uh, I, did you have a good time? Yeah, yeah. It was good, fun. Good, good. I'm glad. I really am. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't want to wish you luck because I, I don't think you believe in it. <laughs> well, you know, whatever it is, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it. Yeah. Know? No, I hope you stay on the path you're on. I hope, uh, I hope you... Uh, you know, continue on like this. It's a, it's really an uplifting story. Congratulations. Well, yeah, I have to continue because my kids want to kidnap me in 2040 to take me to the thousandth anniversary of a brewery in Germany. So 2040. Yeah, I'll Jim, be 87. Jim, I don't have a ton of confidence. I'm going to be alive in 2040. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told him, I told him you do realize that's beyond my life expectancy. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we go earlier and you just tell me it's the anniversary. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope I I I hope to see pictures of your brewery trip. Okay. (laughs) Put them on. Put them on whatever magical thing exists in the future where we consider the internet. You know. Right. That's really something. It's so cool to it's so cool to talk to somebody who's kept up with things the way you have and 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 I am definitely calling your episode "Go with the Flow." Okay. (laughs) That's what I figured out while we were talking. Yeah. Uh, All right. Cool. All right, man. Have a great day. Hold on for me for one second, okay? course i want to thank jim for coming on the show and sharing his story 
And then I'd like to thank Touched by Type 1 and remind you to go to touchedbytype1.org and thank AG1 and remind you to go to athleticgreens.com forward slash juicebox. Of course, you can get 35% off your entire order at cozyearth.com with offer code juicebox and 10% off your first month of therapy at betterhelp.com when you go to betterhelp.com forward slash juicebox. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I'll be back very soon with another.